Hello and welcome to the show. Today I'm going to be sharing random conversations that I had with Abuja businesswomen. And yes, if you've been following the last three or four episodes, it's the same event, the one on the 22nd of June, 2023. I hope you're not tired of hearing about it because really we discussed a lot of interesting things during the formal sessions and um, some also intriguing stuff during the questions and answer and after the event was over and, you know, conversations here and there with a few people left, right, you know, all over the place. So the conversations that we had with the Abuja business uh, women and um, a co-trainer who I've men- mentioned, uh, Coach Jugo, I'll talk about what her own part in the training was um, tomorrow, or rather at the next episode. I'm not sure if I can record uh, tomorrow. So the theme was uh, building a bridge to greater sales. And like I've mentioned, the last three or four episodes have been about that. If this is the first time of listening to the podcast, you like this episode, when you're done, scroll back the last three, listen to it, get a sense of all the things that we discussed formally there. Because what we're going to talk about here is going to be some Q&A things and some side chat that happened during the, the um during the training, uh, during the seminar, during the event. So, um, this episode, those are the sorts of things that we're going to um, dig into. Now, there are lots of these side conversations. It's going to be hard to uh, make a podcast episode where we can put everything in one concise um, recording. So, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a few um, threads that I can remember based on conversations that I had with individual people, and then we'll tease all the issues out. So first is the Ini conversation, and Ini is a medical doctor. She's into the Medicare business. She owns her own ophthalmology practice. Uh, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that well. Well, actually, I, I'm not sure if she's an ophthalmologist or an optometrist or an opto something. But basically, she owns her own opto thing, practice, and they fix her eyeballs. They help us with laser surgery. They help us with contacts. Um, what else? They help us diagnose cataracts. Um, all sorts of things. So anything eye-related, and that's what it is that she handles. Sorry, forgive the interruption. I'm making this recording. The kids are at home. So there are going to be interruptions every now and then. So back to uh, the, um, the uni conversation. Yeah, so she's more of a business operator, more of a business owner. She doesn't see clients anymore. Uh, because she has residents, medical residents, medical doctors who are into the daily operation of the clinic and who sees, uh, who see the clients. So her focus now is sorry, did I say clients? I think patients. Okay, well, for med for Medicare, I, I guess it's interchangeable. You're a client or you're a patient. So her focus now is business development and managing the business. The name of the clinic is Magna Eye Care. Magna, that's M A G N A. Magna Eye Care. So Google them, follow them on socials if you're interested in supporting female-owned enterprises. So one of the questions that we tackled um, with Ini, remember, I was having multiple conversations with people during and after the um, event. So um, this is not a summary of everything that Ini and I discussed, just a couple of things that I thought would be nice to share with the community over here. So one of the questions that we tackled is how we influence people to make our stuff a priority for them. So, if you sell Italian bags, how can you influence people to make your Italian bags a priority for them? Because the average person, apart from people who are shoe and bag um, aficionados, don't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to buy authentic leather bags today. I'm going to buy um, authentic leather shoes today. But in her own unique context, the problem was, 
at least in this part of the world, in Nigeria anyway. Okay, let me not make a blanket statement about Nigeria. Let's say in Abuja. Uh, in Abuja and in Lagos. Okay, I can speak for Abuja and Lagos. So, in this part of the world, in Abuja and Lagos, in this small part of Nigeria, people only care for eye doctors when things have already fallen apart. We only go to see the eye doctor, not just the eye doctors, but also, um, what do you call these guys? The mouth doctors, teeth doctors, uh, dentists. Basically, we don't show up to these people unless things are falling apart. I've cracked a tooth. My tooth is rotten. There are maggots coming out of my teeth. Uh, my right eye is going blind. Um, or I can't watch TV um, uh, clearly. Or I'm having problems with driving. So that's when people show up to Magna Eye Care and um, other opto eye care healthcare practitioners um, in this part of the world. So how can we make, uh, how can we influence them to take routine things uh, important and then make it a part of their habits so that was a question now my response was something i had already reiterated during the uh during the uh, the networking session the training session i've said it on the podcast and i'm going to say it here again in case there are people who have this idea you can't really force or influence anyone to do anything you can't well if you put a gun to their head yes or if you give them a huge um uh um a huge sum of money then yes but outside of these extreme circumstances where we're bribing or uh, cajoling or browbeating people or things like that we can't really force or influence people to do anything the best we can do is try and figure out what their motivations are see how those motivations and intentions align with ours and then make a persuasive case the best you can that is all that you can do so there's no way to get people to take up routine eye care that they do not think is important. If they don't think it's important, then um, they're not going to take up a routine eye care. Yes, there's been some research that has shown how the uh, um, what do you call it? The dental industry. You know, people who make toothpaste and toothbrushes. How they were able to put um, trigger elements there to trigger habits and things like that. But that is beyond the scope of this podcast. I'm talking about one-on-one um, -on -one situations. I'm here. I'm talking to you. I really can't force influence you to do anything. Or she's there, she's talking to a client, <clears throat> um, a client, a patient, a patron, whatever it is you call them in the medical space. You can't really force or influence uh, someone to do what it is that they don't want. Now, however, there are conversation techniques when you're faced with one patient, one potential customer, to help them to try and figure out if they have a big enough problem worth solving. Because it's possible that someone has a big problem, they just don't know it's a big problem. So somebody might think, ah, my tooth is cracked. It's not that big of a deal. So there are conversations that you can have as a mouth doctor, as a dentist, as a whatever you call yourselves, you know, people who deal with that part of the body. There are conversations that you can have to get the person to see that, look, this cracked tooth is not as small as you think. Cracked tooth, space for food, bacteria. Food, bacteria leads to infections. Infections create toxins. Toxins can seep into the bloodstream. And next thing you're faced with uh, septicemia, septicemia can kill. So you can have, there are ways that you can have those conversations to show that this cracked tooth, yes, it doesn't look like it's a problem. Your father had a cracked tooth, your grandfather had a cracked tooth, your great-grandfather had a cracked, um, a cracked tooth, but this thing can lead to death. So there are ways of having these conversations and I ran the ladies through how we achieve these sorts of things. Now remember, I said we can't force or influence people. This is not really forcing or influencing. This is just trying to open up somebody's eyes to think, to show them that, look, this thing that you think is child's play isn't really child's play. This is a big deal. And I think you should pay attention to it. And this is how you go about it. 
So it's also a conversation framework because a lot of the things we talk about over here on the podcast during the live training, I never handle any trainings for your organization. You know, you have me in to come and talk to your um, college association or you want me to talk to your employees to help them to sell better. It's all going to be about conversation frameworks. So the conversation framework um, the conversation framework that we're going to use in these kinds of situations is called SPIN. SPIN is an acronym, S-P-I-N. It's developed from the research of a fellow called Neil Rackham. He had a book called Spin Selling, either in the 70s or in the 80s. I can't remember when, but I know it's not 60s, and I know it's not 90s. So it's between 70s and 80s. And so SPIN is an acronym for different kinds of questions that you should be asking potential clients. Remember, on the podcast, or whenever I show up at your training sessions live, we're going to be talking about conversational frameworks. So conversation frameworks are going to be question-led. I ask a question, I listen, the person says something, I respond, and then that's how the conversation flows. So it's not an um, interrogation, it's a uh, question-led process. So S stands for situation questions. You're going to be asking questions to try and understand the situation, basically. Asking questions to figure out what the problem is and how they got there. So this is the part where the example that we used when we're having the conversation with Ini was an old man who needs cataract surgery, but he doesn't think he needs cataract surgery. So these are the kinds of questions early on where, I mean, we've, we've all been to doctors, so we have questions that doctors ask. So what's the problem, sir? How long have you had difficulty with reading? How long have you had difficulty with driving? How long have you had difficulty with this and that? And then you're also going to ask questions to see if occupational hazards exist. Because uh, there are some people that are prone to certain kinds of diseases. So photographers sit with computers for a very long time. Um, uh, computers, yeah, computers for a very long time. Old school photographers who stay in the dark room for a very long time. Computer people looking at computers for a very long time. Software developers, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not an eye professional, but I'm assuming that maybe there are some risks that um, photographers, computer developers, software developers, these sorts of people have that maybe bricklayers don't have. Because I'm guessing for uh, bricklayers and laborers, if they have any issues with their eyes, it's probably because, um, you know, um, a hammer drops on the head and maybe damages a, an eye nerve or maybe they get into a fight and, you know, uh, one guy punches another guy's eyes. So it's probably going to be trauma. But for photographers, computer and software developers, coders, those sorts of things, um, I'm sure they, they have um, some eye um, issues. So situation questions are going to be you asking all these things because you're trying to understand what's the situation here? How do we get to where we are? Now, the P is for problem questions. And this is questions that we use to try and figure out how the problem makes the potential customer or the potent, well, the patient in this case, how it makes them feel. So are you frustrated that you can't drive anymore? Or it must be frustrating trying to supervise your business um, with uh, poor eyesight. Uh, what issues are this cataracts or this blah, blah, blah causing you to have in your daily life? You need to ask these questions. Now, it's not out of place because when we go to see our regular doctors and it's a question of malaria or typhoid or something, these are the questions that they ask us. Uh, how many times are you going to the toilet? Uh, what does your poop look like? Oh, sorry, that must be really difficult, isn't it? Oh, so you mean you've been waking up four times every night to go and pee? Oh, okay. Then while they're talking, they're making their notes. That's just part of the consultative process that medical doctors go through. And it's also the kind of consultative process that all of us should be going through, no matter the business that we're involved in. Even if we sell fancy um, Italian leather bags, or um, if we sell, um, I don't know, architectural services, or we sell chickens, or whatever. So problem questions. We're trying to figure out how the problem makes the person feel. 
Implication questions. That is where we're going to dig in and we're going to use quantifiable terms to show the person how much they are suffering. So in the early thing where I spoke about uh, a cracked tooth, uh, this is the part of the question where um, the dentist is asking questions to get a sense of how many hours this person is having uh, the headache or whatever because of the cracked tooth. Um, so uh, that's where you're going to bring it up that the person is spending, uh, that because of this small thing, you're spending four hours every day in intense headaches. And uh, that's where you also talk about the statistics of how many percentage of people um, develop septicemia and die uh, in Nigeria and blah, 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 blah. So we're trying to get into quantifiable terms. We're trying to get down to numbers as much as possible so we can quantify the suffering. So this is the part where you're asking uh, Baba. Remember, in the scenario that we used in the conversation with Ini, we're talking about an old man who really needs cataracts, but he doesn't think it's his problem. He doesn't think it's a big problem. So that's about why you dig in. Because you've been asking all the questions about the situation and the problem, that's why you dig in and you point out that um, because of these cataracts and because he has had to hire a driver and a PA, he is now spending an extra 80,000 naira a month. So maybe uh, maybe uh, 50,000 for the PA, 30,000 for the driver. So that's the part where you point it out. And um, this is also where you dig into the fact that he's spending half the time at work trying to verify the standards that the employees are producing. In the example that we gave, we just assumed that Baba um, has a farm that he works on. Because it's typical in this part of the world anyway. You know, you retire, you go back to the village, you set up a farm. It's just what some people do. Nigerians are entrepreneurial. We all engage in businesses, whether early in our life or whether in the later years. So we're just assuming that Baba has retired, he's back in the village, and that's it. So he's spending time, uh, half the time, trying to verify standards and to verify stuff that is going on. Because if Baba has cataracts and he's going a little, let's not say blind, let's say his vision is impaired, you best believe that people are trying to sneak and steal an extra chicken or steal some eggs or steal some yam every now and then. So he's spending half his time trying to verify that everything is going um, according to plan. So this is the part of the conversation where you're pointing out these things. Uh, he's spending 80k per month that he doesn't need to spend and he's spending half his time uh, supervising, verifying and those sorts of things. Now the end is for need or payoff questions. Now, this is where we ask questions or we try to show the potential clients the results that they'll get if they go ahead with the solution. This is where we're going to point out to Baba that, look, if we go ahead and do this cataract thing, you're going to save a million naira a year. And Baba is going to say, how? A million naira a year, how? A million naira, Baba. And you point out that, Baba, you're already paying 80k a month. You know that 80k a month is 960k. And 960k, that doesn't include the times when you give a tip or maybe you know it's time for salah so you give an extra some extra money and stuff like that so easily baba is paying a million naira a year and he just doesn't realize that this is the point where you point it out and you also point out that if you can cut down if we do these cataract things then instead of supervising um four hours a day he can cut down supervising to two hours a day we'll be able to free out um two more hours of his schedule because he can now readily um look at thing uh, look at things now, for those of you who've listened to the last uh, two or three podcast episodes, these are the kinds of questions that we're asking during the discovery stage that we mentioned. That's what we're trying to figure out. Does the client have a problem that is worth um, solving? That's the main question that we're trying to solve. So, um, the reason we're asking all these converse, uh, questions and we're going through spin and all that is because if this guy, if this daddy, if this madame, if this mommy, if this whoever 
doesn't if they don't think they have a problem worth solving there's they're not going to do anything about it and there's nothing that you can do because for instance if baba is okay with the one million that he's paying for extra salaries if he's fine with it he's fine with it i'm paying one million a year and so it's no big deal if he doesn't think it's a big deal it's not a big deal and then if he also says uh, no problem my grandchildren are going to be home uh, for the holidays they can help me with supervising i trust their oversight and uh, I'm getting some new hires. I'm hiring my cousin in the village. You know, uh, I trust him so he can do the oversight. If that's really what Baba thinks, one million is nothing. My children will be here. They will help me supervise. I'm going to hire my cousin. There's absolutely nothing you can do. If Baba is uncomfortable putting needles into, into his eyes for uh, glaucoma surgery or firing lasers into his eyeballs uh, to correct glaucoma or whatever, there's nothing you can do because some people say, eh, well, yes, I'm spending this extra money but don't worry, I have the help. And then plus, you know, I'm 60 or I'm 70. I'm going to be dead in 10, 20 years. What's the big deal? So in that case, there's absolutely nothing you can do. The best thing you can do is to keep him in a relationship nurturing sequence. That is where, um, you know, you're sending emails or messages or calling once in a while. Just so that you're top of mind in case he changes his mind. And he's ready to move ahead. You'll be the first person that he remembers. So those are some of the issues that we discussed with the inner conversation. A summary, you can't force anybody to do anything, but yes, there are conversation frameworks where you can point out to someone that, look, this thing you're dealing with, it looks like it's chicken, it looks like it's child's play, but actually, it's a big issue. And to do that, we're going to be using the spin technique. Now, uh, let's see. Okay, then there was also um, Ori, the Ori conversation. She was a member of the cohort, she's involved in the fashion industry, but she's involved in the back end of the value chain. So, in other words, you go and meet your favorite designer and they design something beautiful for you, a beautiful dress, a beautiful suit. And they understand the concept, they show you the designs, you're happy. Now, where Ori fits into the value chain is, she is the one who has the tailors or the technicians, because, you know, they're technicians that help with the embroidery, you know, where you put all the stones and things like that, all the fancy stuff. So, she has the tailors and the technicians who make those designs become a reality. And so, because of that, she might not have, Ori might not have a brand of her own, but she's working with multiple fashion and tailoring um, outlets over the city so her question was how do you decide if you have a good business idea before you throw money in what she wanted to know was how do you know if you have a bad business idea that might not work in nigeria because there's some business ideas that are culture um, specific location specific um you know blah 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 stuff like that so my answer to the question was there's a process called market validation for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you're already familiar with it. For those of you who are newbies, the newbies, this is your first time listening to the show, or you've listened to one or two episodes, let's just go over, reintroduce you to the concept, or rather introduce you to the concept. So, the process is called market validation. Um, before you begin, um, well, first of all, market validation involves um, sales motions in the market. In other words, it means you're going to have to do some stuff as if you're trying to sell because uh, you have to explore that because um, you're looking for the market to show you signs that this is a good idea, giving you signs of demand, and then that is when you can go ahead. Now, to flesh it out, let me give the example that she gave. The example she gave was this, Nigerians don't eat shark meat. Now, that's a questionable idea because I don't like to eat seafood, but I remember when I was a little boy, my mom went to Plateau State and she found some... Um, she went to Plateau State and then she found some uh, shark meat in the market and she brought it home, she cooked it and it didn't seem, didn't seem bad at all. So I haven't kept up with the shark meat market in Nigeria but I'm assuming that there are Nigerians who like shark cuisine. 
But for now, let's go with our premise that Nigerians don't eat shark meat. And you want to know if it's a good idea to start the shark meat business. I don't know if that's what she wants to do, start the shark meat business. But anyway, that's a good enough example. So market validation in this case is going to start with a hunch because everybody always has a hunch before you start your business. So let's say that the hunch, the assumption was that Onicha boys or um, Lagos boys like to spend money in fish joints. For those of us who live in the big cities, you know, even in Abuja, you know, there are beer parlors um, all over the place. And, you know, it's something that people do take off steam. You show up on the Friday night, you're on the boys, you have a couple of beers, you have some bush meat, you have some catfish, you know, stuff like that. So the assumption is that Onicha boys and Lagos boys, that's where all the action is. They like to spend their money in fish joints. Then, instead of importing a whole container of shark and spending millions of naira on this business from the get-go, you can spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands and you can buy a small batch and then send them to fish operators in Onicha or in Lagos. You know, women who have these beer salons, um, sorry, not beer salons, what are they called? Beer, beer parlors, uh, bushmeat hotspots, things like that. Send it to these operators. You can send it to them for free or maybe for a small fee. But in exchange, you just want them to tell you something. You just want them to let you know, is this shark meat moving? Do boys like uh, shark fish, pepper soup? Uh, do they like roasted fish, uh, roasted um, shark fin soup? Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is the intel that you need. So you spend some thousands or some hundreds of thousands, you send it to these women. And then after a while, they're going to give you the feedback. If nobody's buying, they'll let you know. They'll let you know that, well, this thing tastes good, though, but boys are not buying this thing. They're not picking it up. And um, maybe then you come with another hunch. You now know whether you might try another market segment because I'm talking about beer parlors. So these are, what should I say, sem semi-unregulated businesses because they're there in the park corner, things like that. So maybe the local council um, regulates them, but it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal like the big restaurants or fast food joints. So if nobody's buying, then now you know that Maybe it's time to try uh, another market segment. So instead of using roadside um, fish joints, maybe you try upscale um, restaurants. But the thing is this, from spending this tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, eventually you're going to get start getting market signals, whether bar patrons like the meat, whether restaurant patrons like the meat, or, well, I can't think of any other person. Or, you know, maybe people just prefer to stick to catfish pepper soup, which is trending now and which has been around for quite a while. But bottom line is this. Interactions with other stakeholders in the business you're going to be interacting with. The market women, the bar owners, the chefs, the club promoters, ETC. That's going to give you a sense of um, which experiment to run next. And you'll be able to get a sense of whether there's market demand before you throw more money in. The problem is most Nigerians like to go all in. You think catfish... Uh, sorry, you think um, shark um, shark is going to be uh, the way forward. And so you pump your whole retirement savings into it. This shark thing must work. You know, so don't go all in. Market validation first. Have a hunch. Test it out. Do some sales activity. You're going to get some signals from the market whether this is a good idea or not. So essentially, market validation is how much small sales can you get? How much demand can you get? And um, we're not focusing on what people promise you or what people say. You can ask market women in Onicha and she will say that, ah, the shark tastes really nice. This thing is going to sell. It's going to sell. It's a good idea. And then you pump all your money in. It's not about what people say. It's about what people do with their wallets, with their money. So you give it to the woman and her patrons buy it up in three or four days. And you know that, okay, I might have something here. And you roll off um, a smaller amount, uh, some more money, and then you um, give it a go.
So, um, okay. Since we're already past the 20-minute mark, um, okay, let me just go into another one uh, that got everyone real um, enthralled. And uh, that was the general conversation among um, skincare entrepreneurs in the house. And it was this whole thing of dancing on social media to promote your business. Is dancing on social media effective? Specifically, Instagram Reels and um, TikTok. You know, should we engage in those sorts of things? Now, I'm not going to go into any details because we're heading towards 30 minutes. But this is the general consensus that we arrived in. I think it's exciting enough um, for you guys to get the hint. So, this is some of the consensus that we arrived at. Um, okay, so we agree that dancing, sexy dancing, flirty, engaging content, trendy stuff, challenges, we all agree, it will bring in a crowd of people to your social media. That's a fact. We can't deny that. <clears throat> well, the problem is the people that it's going to bring in, are they the right kind of audience? Are they the people who could end up becoming buyers? Those were the kinds of conversations that we're having. So yes, by doing all this stuff, you might trend, you might blow, you might have uh, a thousand visits, ten thousand visits, um, nine hundred thousand visits, you know, whatever to your videos. But that was the hanging question at the end of the day: Is this the right kind of audience that's going to be end up becoming potential buyers? Now, the case in point was people who do sexy um, TikTok and Instagram reels, you know, with bum shorts and bra straps and stuff like that, you know, viral videos of twerking and things. So that's millions of followers. You see them do that, it's millions of followers, you think it's a good idea, you try and do that, but then you forget that there are other aspects to it. And um, sometimes the reason why these people are uh, twerking and grinding and everything is because um, it works for their particular sort of business. The example that I gave was, I can't remember the lady's name, but once I called her, uh, once I described it, some of the ladies there knew who I was talking about. There's a lady, um, African-American lady, who um, slim, cute-looking, uh, bomb shots, and that sort of thing, twerking, grinding, those sorts of things. Once I mentioned, they knew who the lady was. And then I pointed out to the girls that, you know, I've always been very curious that what's the point? I mean, people don't just get up and grind and twist and flirt and, you know, do that every single day. I mean, there are some people who are looking for affirmation. Uh, that's a psychological thing. That's beside the point. But I just assume that there has to be a commercial angle to this. Or else people can't just be twerking for um, no reason. So, and uh, I pointed out to them that for this particular um, influencer, she has shoe boxes and she has sneakers in the background. And uh, from reading the comments um, under her videos, it became clear that that is actually her play. So she does these things. Lots of men watch the videos, but among the men that watch her videos are sneakerheads. Sneakerheads love the greatest sneakers, the greatest gear, the greatest kicks, the greatest whatever. She has those things in the background. So there's some people that will slide up in her DM because they want to date her and they want her phone number. But then there are also people who are going to be like, oh, you have those Nike Jordans, blah, blah, blah. How much? You see? So that was an interesting case to show that for some people, it's bringing in lots of crowds. For them, it's the right crowd. But for you the beauty influencer does that mean that is going to be the right crowd that is going to uh, come um, to your social media handles and then another set of questions that we looked at was are you interested in dancing do you have the talent for producing this kind of content if the answer is no then all this dancing and pointing and all the challenges and or whatnot, will, you can't do that sustainably over time because you don't have the talent, you don't have the interest, you're going to be tired. Business growth 
requires that we do these things for months and years to grow a business. If you don't have the power, in quote, as we say in Nigeria, if you don't have the power to chase social media trends for your business and to dance and to point and to whine and things like that, you just go viral on one video. It's not going to change your business life. It's not going to give you the money that you need. You need to produce this kind of entertaining content for the long haul for this to work. This lady that I spoke about, I think her name is Becky, the one that sells shoes. You, you check and scroll and scroll and scroll. Becky has been dancing, grinding, uh, a social media challenge, whatever. She's been doing this for over a year. If you're not interested in these sorts of things, if you're not a dancer, you don't like dancing, you don't have the interest, you're not going to be able to dance every single day, every single week for the whole year. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. So, um, my challenge to them, and my challenge to you, for those of you who are debating this whole dancing and pointing um, and challenges thing, is this. Have you learned the techniques techniques from these um, sexy, uh, sexy and engaging TikTok dancers and influencers? There's something deliberate about what they're doing. There's a sales funnel that they're using, their sales techniques that they're trying to do. So dancing and pointing influencers are not dancing or twerking at random. There's a business framework to it. If you want to pursue this thing, then go and apprentice from these people. Learn from them. Learn the whole system. It's not just about the dance. Dancing, twerking, pointing without having other parts of the system in place is going to lead to you wasting your time. So the sexy TikTok dancer with the shoes in the background Apart from the dance technique, whether she's doing butterfly dance or uh, grinding dance or uh, whatever it is, there are also merchandising decisions that she's making and she's following fashion trends. Are Air Jordans raining right now? Is Adidas raining right now? What is it that is raining right now? What it is that is moving market? There are merchandising decisions that are going into what she shows in her video. Then there's also engagement in the DMs because with uh, thousands of followers will come hundreds of messages there has to be engagement in the dm to try and tease out the orders people who want to buy shoe from those boys who are just horny who are saying hey how far i want to date you what's your phone number so you have to engage in the dm that's another part of it how do you separate um the weirdos from people who want to buy shoes then there's also product fulfillment payment verification that is who has paid where are we sending the shoes to? Those sorts of things. And then it's also relationship building that is involved. Because definitely, I suspect that uh, this Becky lady who is grinding has an email list that she has to manage. You know, people that have bought shoes from her and maybe other shoes communities that she's been um, introduced to because, you know, folks have bought from her. Because nobody can twerk forever. Nobody can grind forever. So I'm sure she's building up her email list so that when these things pass, when she's too old or when she's too um, whatever, she's going to be able to continue um, her shoe sales by um, using the email uh, by using the email list, the email list. Sorry. So, if you show up and you dance, but you don't do all these other functions, in this case, merchandising, knowing fashion trends, engagement product fulfillment, payment verification, relationship building, managing your email list. If you don't do all that, then, as we say in Nigeria, you're going to miss road. You will be sorely disappointed. So it's not just about the dancing and it's not just about the um, attention that comes from these uh, kind of entertaining content. So overall, it was a wonderful experience. There were too many side conversations with too many wonderful, disciplined and ambitious women. We can't share it all. Um, I can't give you all the discussions and all the insights on this um, podcast. So the solution is this.
Follow Brunch and Bond on their socials and Instagram handles. On Instagram, is Brunch and Bond together as one word. So brunch, that's the meal between breakfast and lunch. And then bond, as in when people get together and bond. Or you can show up to their live events. You can also show up at my speaking engagements if you follow me on socials. And you know I'm going to be in your own part of town. This one was only a 25,000 Naira event. And look at the amount of business deliberations that we had. Because we've done, I think, four podcast summary episodes so far. And still, we can't cover exactly all the things that we went into. So, if you love what you hear on the podcast and you would like daily access to me so that you can ask me directly uh, questions related to how you sell in your business and if you want help with building relationships with your customers and other business stakeholders, I'm going to be relaunching my paid WhatsApp community in a few days. The investment required is only 5,000 Naira a month. 5,000 Naira. Um, yeah, Naira, that's a Nigerian currency. There you get to ask me anything and I'll give you answers and assignments to move your business forward because it doesn't profit you if I give you answers but I don't make sure that you're following up on the good advice that I'm giving so if you're interested in this then hit me up on social media DM me let me know that you're interested hit me up in the inbox um, those of you who are listening from America because I think right now over half of you are in the US of A and folks in other part of the world you're still interested hit me up and let's see what we can work out um, in this beautiful world of um, interconnectedness we can always work out something when it comes to international payments. So that's all for today. Remember, subscribing to the show is free. You don't have to pay any money. The name of this show is Sales for the Nigerian Business Person Podcast. It's confirmed and available on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Pocket Cast, and Overcast. Remember, connect with me on the socials, especially on LinkedIn, where I hang out every single day. That's my social media of choice. My name is Tavishima Ayede. If you want the correct spelling of the name and you want my email address, then just check the podcast player or the web player where you're listening to um, for this episode. If you just um, hit the return button, you'll see it there. My face, the spelling of my name, my email address. So hit me up on socials. Thank you very much for your time and attention. I'll catch you guys at the next episode.